celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Tall Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Today, I'm so excited. We have Jen Dunkini. She is an absolute force of nature across so many fields. It's a little head spinning. She is a Broadway performer, visual artist, podcaster, and a student currently working towards her Masters of Communication and Media. Within the arts, Jen has performed in numerous Broadway shows, national tours, international productions, music videos, television appearances, such as the Tony Awards and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. She is a skilled, extremely talented visual artist and I was actually bewildered, Jen, when I was reading that not only your ever-growing list of credits includes photographic retoucher with some of your work gracing the pages of major global publications such as Vogue, W Magazine, Elle and Glamour. You have a podcast, you are a mum, you are a student of just life in general and contagiously enthusiastic, which I'm so excited about. So Welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. First question is where and how are you today? Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so good. I, that was just cracking me up so much. You're like, how? And I'm like, because I'm tired. No. <laughs> That's honest. That's an honest. That list, that list is a very extensive yes, but um, I guess I should warn the viewers. I don't do that all at the same time, although I can do several of those in one day. What is a typical day for you? Oh my gosh. Well, it, it kind of varies. I mean, when I'm in school, which we are on uh, school break right now, we start back up next week. <laughs> the day starts at 7.30, getting my two girls off to school, you know, and that's a, that's a, that is probably one of the most chaotic parts of my day, actually, <laughs> making sure that they're supposed to, you know, they're supposed to be fed, they're supposed to be dressed, you know, teeth brushed, all, all the things that like, and to be responsible for somebody else, I find to be very, very difficult. <laughs> I'm like, girl, don't make me look bad. Like you have to go eat food, you know, like you have to do these things. You have to wear pants, you know, it's snowing outside, whatever. Um, So I'm up at 730. And then by the time they leave, like, then it's, cleaning up the chaos and then going and doing my schoolwork, which is a huge part of the day when I'm in school. Then there's another component of it. That's my physicality. I have to take care of my physical self. So that involves exercise, physical therapy sometimes, and preparing for whatever the day might entail for what comes later at night. But then of course I pick up my kids from school, three o'clock, I'm getting their dinners. I'm doing all that stuff. And then I hop into my car at five o'clock and I drive to my Broadway show <laughs> and then I warm up and get dressed put my makeup on I do my show I drive back home <laughs> catch up with my husband for like an hour and a half you know that's our that's our like catch up time together and then it, it's like you know back to sleep I mean that's like that's a very typical and to me that's the very standard day like that's a very standard kind of day and then when I get like things kind of mixed into it that are what I think more exciting, you know, whether it's like recently we just did our holiday cards. And so I got to like piece together, you know, as a retoucher moments of our chaotic lives, you know, in photography and stuff. I love photography. So that was really fun to get to sit down and work on, you know, those pieces of things. 
And yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of always tinkering. People are always calling me, hey, can I get advice? I'm doing, I had a girlfriend the other day reach out to me and say, you know, I'm trying to pull together a, a film and TV reel. Like, and I'm trying to think of the characters that I would build out to showcase myself, you know? And so I just love being able to help people and, oh, okay, let's, let's tinker in that zone for a while, you know? I mean, the other day I was like painting in my basement, you know? I mean, I just, I kind of can't stop the tinkering of stuff. It's like a roller dicks, it sounds like. And next one, next one, next one. Sometimes the two roller dicks is next to each other. And yeah. the Broadway element, like you said, at five, you drive into the city to do an amazing <laughs> production, like kind of nonchalant because it's become so normal to you. Yeah. First question, what do people think your job is versus what your job really entails? Oh my gosh. Yeah, right. I know. I think that there's a lot of, oh gosh, there's so many things that people think about our industry and then what the reality is. And I, th I think that that was such a great question because I think that, first of all, there's always the glamour of things, you know, the opening nights and being on a stage and what the movies have told us about those things maybe. Or even, I think a lot of times it's people's high school interpretation or their childhood version of it, which is very exciting. It's a thing they build up to and they get to do it. And it's, and that is definitely a piece of it for sure. But that's not necessarily the reality of what we're doing because we have to continue that day after day. And so there's the life of, of one doing that. Um, so yeah, you do get to build up a show that, you know, and then you have your opening night. And yes, we are also equally as nervous as one was in high school. <laughs> um, but that's typically because they're making changes up until like two hours before we are on stage or something, you know? Yeah, I'll kind of go into like the structure of a show is like, you know, you audition. Well, okay, there's a whole nother thing. There's the audition process, which is really, really, I think what kind of differentiates the, the amateur enjoyment of theater and then the professional realm, because you have to like, you have to get the job and getting the job is one of the hardest things to do. You are competing against hundreds. Like I can recall when my number was like 423, you had to go through that process and then it gets wheedled down like where one day it's at 400 and the next day, you know, two days later, or a week later, they say, we want you to come back or they keep you later for that day. And they kind of break that down, break that down until there's like, you know, maybe 50 of you guys. Yeah. And then they kind of call you back like a week later. And then, you know, maybe then there's 30 of you guys and then come back. And with that, it's not just dancing. It's dancing, singing. Sometimes they want you to bring in a monologue. Sometimes they give you sheet music that is, sheet music potentially to a new show. So you don't know the songs. You have to take that six pages of music and bring it home, memorize it, learn it, memorize it, bring it back and not only just sing it, but perform it. So there's like so many pieces to getting the job <laughs> that it, 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 it breaks a lot of people, to be perfectly honest. It breaks a lot of people. It's very hard and there's a lot of disappointment attached because usually out of those 423 people that have just auditioned, they're looking for 12 women, less than 20, you know? So it, it really is a heartbreaking kind of endeavor <laughs> that is not for the faint of heart. 
but somehow or other that people that do it find the mechanism um, to go with the winds, to keep on going, to keep on wanting to be better. And it's, it's that journeying through it that I think that you see the people, of course, there's that immense talent that some people just embody and they just book the shows, book the shows, book the shows. But even for those people that are very, very talented, it can come down to height and the look of the cast or the, oh, we have too many sopranos and, and we can't use another soprano. So we need an alto and you don't get the job. Or we need somebody to understudy by union rules. You have to have two understudies in the building for that leading lady. So then you need to have those internal covers. And if you can't sing those songs and there's not enough just ensemble where you don't understudy, you also don't get the job. There's a lot of don't getting the, <laughs> there's a lot of times you don't get the job. And so that can be really, really heartbreaking and very difficult. And I think that a lot of people do understand that hardship element yeah. of it. But I think that one of the things, uh, job versus reality is we're contracted for one show. Like when you get that job, it's a one show. Sometimes people think we're in a repertory company and we just kind of like wander from show to show. Like once you're in quote unquote Broadway, that like, then I get to go to be in Hamilton. Then I get to go be in six and then I join like, or like, no, it doesn't like you get hired for Lion King. You stay in Lion King is until the run of, and for ensemble members versus leads, you get a run a show contract. So as long as you're, in as long as the show is open, you have that job. Lion King, for example, just celebrated 25 years, I think. So somebody potentially has a job for 25 years if they so choose. And if they're not bought out of their contracts and stuff like minutia. But yeah. anyway, but yeah, we don't hop around and we don't have seasons. Like there's the oh, is your do you have an off season? It's like, no, no, the show just runs. We're in New York City, tourist Mecca capital, like. We only have one day off a week. You know, that is, that's our schedule is every week, one day off and we don't have off seasons. So that is, um, that's part of our gig and stuff like that. And so like over Christmas, it was like, oh, you get Christmas off. No, no, we have a show on Christmas. You know, we had Christmas Eve off, but we had a show on Christmas. So those are like some of the things that are like job versus the reality. I am an ensemble member, but more specifically, I'm a swing. So a swing position, for those that don't know, ensemble members are the people that are in the background, you know, and, but they're very vital to the storytelling of the show. So my contract is as an ensemble member, but more specifically as a swing, which is I cover six of those um, ensemble members. So I cover all of the women in the ensemble. So if anybody's sick, injured on vacation they're out of a leave of absence for whatever reason typically I jump in and that could be even in the middle of a show I jump in for their part and there's two of us that are at Chicago doing that and stuff so we typically sit backstage and then we're kind of ready to go not necessarily in makeup because they say Jen somebody twisted their ankle we need you on there's a no, a moment where I have to switch out to get into their microphones and all that kind of stuff. But it's a, a very short window. I'm probably on stage in five minutes. Do my hair, put on my costume, put my shoes on, right. So what I like about being a swing is it's a little bit like an emergency room doctor. You, you're there for 
you like when things kind of go south or you're just there to support other people it can be hard it can be hard it's very you have to know a lot a lot of information because if the show is we'll say for round numbers two hours long I know 12 hours of show versus just the two so it, there's a lot of information that I have to hold in my brain of knowing where to go when to go there who says what what vocal line I sing um, so there's a lot of organizational you know components that come into being a swing but I'm a Virgo so it works out well <laughs> my immediate thought is you must have to know so intimately the details of every element of that show I think 2011 was when I signed my contract yeah. but I think of it as me being there for 10 years because I left on maternity leave to have my first daughter so um, I left the show for a year, but they hold your job. Like it's a leave of absence. So I was able to come back to my job and then COVID happened. So we were out for, that was a year and a half. And then most recently I had hip surgery, which was fun. And I was out for six months, but yeah, I'm back and I'll be leaving tonight at five. But yeah, I've been part of Chicago for a long time. And I've had a long relationship with them even before I got the Broadway company and doing different productions for them. And I love, I love doing the show. You know, there's, there's some elements where people are like, oh, isn't she tired of doing that show? Isn't she tired of it? And I just kind of say, no, no. I mean, to be part of a Tony award-winning choreography written show, it's iconic. We all have different lines. The show has a lot of improvisation to it. So there's your creativity is getting utilized and worked um, often. You know, nobody ever asked, asked Michael Phelps, like, aren't you tired of swimming the same four strokes? I think that's once again, it kind of goes back to this idea of like the mastery of something and really digging into the nuances of, for us, movement, storytelling and vocal and for Michael Phelps, it was his time, his speed, the quality to which he did that was a constant journey. And I think that those of us that really sit in those high performance spaces, we really recognize uh, the value of that. Like we don't question how many plies I can do in my lifetime or I've done 80,000. I think that should be enough and I'll stop now. You know, no, I see the value in, in what that movement does in order to like warm up my legs and you know facilitate this movement and and the quality to it and and I think that a lot of people in the higher level of performance talk about quality you know and not in the good bad way but the actual quality of the move that you know like oh well I think it's supposed to be this well I think it's this you know or oh I love the way she did this people are talking about a quality to which they they view something and I and I love kind of getting into the weeds about that stuff high performance is a huge narrative that threads through all my guests and the questions I'm asking and I love that you bring up Michael Phelps because often people think high performance in regards to sport just because that's a title mm -hmm. heard many times but yeah you're high performing in the classroom or you can be a high performer in Broadway and in the arts. And so how do you define high performance? Yeah, I think that you're right. In in other spheres, it's it's probably defined a little different, you know, like in sports, you know, people like to say the fastest or the highest or whatever. And 
And in the arts, it's a little bit different. And with Broadway, it's more of a, uh, a place that exists because there's only, typically, Broadway shows are crafted in New York City. That's where the people come together to make these shows. That's where the most, you know, the, the largest group of shows have been built. That's also where the Broadway houses exist. And, and that's like a 10 block radius, you know? But that is where we've seen it as like the Mecca of Broadway. And so in order to like consider yourself the high performance of Broadway, typically you're in New York City achieving those specific jobs. Um, and that's not to say that they're, they don't exist in other places. There's incredible dancers that are out in Los Angeles and internet, you know, there's other theater that are happening in other cities. And a lot of times Broadway sh shows do out of town tryouts in other big cities before they land into Broadway. So there's, you know, Toronto and Chicago and Seattle and stuff. They'll, they'll do a production out there, tinker with it a little bit and then bring it to Broadway because, you know, the reviews and everything, the reception of it, it's high stakes. But the auditions for these shows exist in New York City. And so that's what I think of like in terms of high performance is competing amongst the best of the best in that realm. And in, for us, that's in New York City competing to get those those kinds of jobs and stuff like that. So you're really, I mean, I guess, like I said before, you're really competing against a lot of people, but at the end of the day, that even though there's a lot of people that start at, at the base of it, it quickly within a day goes down to a smaller number. And those are like the real high performance people that like you could probably build four solid casts of a show based on who's left in, in that group. Um, but then they're going even more specific. Well, if we craft this, if we craft this and stuff. But I think that that high performance really hits to another level where, you know, you're learning choreography on the fly, you're learning music on the fly, you're, you know, given script and all of this kind of stuff and you're able to execute it quickly. And I don't like to use, I don't like to say quickly too much because I don't think some, I think sometimes we have this churning that happens. How quick can you learn things How quick, as opposed to once again, a quality to which these people can do things. And I know it's getting harder and harder in the industry because people are learning choreography so fast and they have to execute it and turn it around so fast. Well, that's one skill set, but there's a different thing that can occur with artists that's quality. And, um, and sometimes that's at odds with, with itself. And so I think that's where the difference with an athlete versus an artist exists because there's a, a certain quality to which um, I think gymnasts, ice skaters kind of get into that, like that muddy waters of like the execution of the artistic, you know, and that's where the artists reside is this quality to which they're giving this performance and they're um, executing something and they're doing it so beautifully. Then, So then it comes down to the director saying, I prefer this sound over this sound for our leading lady. You know, I prefer this quality that they're giving instead of this person and stuff. Because when you're up in that high performance space, it's uh, apples and oranges, you know, it's... It's subjective too. And that's something interesting, like with sport to your point if someone's fastest they are the fastest so 
yeah. on the day they're the most high performing but yeah. with art it's also subjective how it's received so I might think someone's more high performing than this and then something that I do think I found with rowing was there's sometimes just the boat feel and the chemistry between the people you trust one another and you're in a rhythm and it moves faster and so to your point of the directors or the casting agents must be thinking like for some reason Jen and Alicia there's just something going on there and I've seen Chicago and I, I loved it to your point you could make four casts worth but you have to think okay well who's gonna work the yeah. best together and a big focus I have with this podcast is in New Zealand it's called tall poppy syndrome and I remember briefly talking to you about it but essentially it's like imposter syndrome mixed but it's internal and external so maybe someone's at the at the casting and then they're looking over and you just do this amazingly impressive thing and whether it's insecurity or whatever it might be instead of pumping you up and being like wow go Jen there's a bit of jealousy it goes like I mean yeah that plie was gorgeous but look at her here like something yeah. needs to cut absolutely down. Mm-hmm. and so I would just love for you please to talk through your journey to a Broadway career and how you've interacted with absolutely elements. I think thank you so much for bringing that up too because I think that that's like you know <clears throat> you see that on shows like uh certain kind of shows where they sh- showgirls and they're like throwing marbles and stuff like that you know and um before when you were talking about job versus reality um I one thing that I failed to like mention was the kind of small community that exists because you know you start to like like I said it's a 10 block radius and or I don't know if it's actually 10 blocks, but it's something like that. You know, it's a small space. There's only so many shows running at a certain time. We typically have one degree of separation from us knowing somebody else in another show. If we don't already know them, it's a very, it becomes a very small community because, you know, your reputation also builds on itself and people start to hire you again. So, you know, people, and there's this wonderful community that can exist in our industry where we are each other's companions on those days, on those holidays and all this kind of stuff. So there's that like warm, fuzzy element that can exist. However, you have to fight the competitive toxicity that can happen. Um, I've been recently, uh, I I I listened to this podcast that was interviewing Simon Sinek and him talking about the infinite game. I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody's mentioned anything about this, but I was like, he's really onto something with this. Because in Broadway, when you're trying to get that job, it's a finite goal you're going for. I've got to get that job because of a lot of reasons, but mostly because you need to like stop searching for a job, you know? Um, and so you're really kind of just trying to win. And there's a lot of sizing up your competition and sizing up what other people are doing that might be better. And in those rooms and in that space, you can have a choice of how you want to be and how you want to take that on, you know, because you know, you're getting looks that might be not so pleasant, but you're also getting reception from other people that are like, oh girl, that looks so good. And that builds up confidence. And I found myself really, I've worked with some really incredible women along the way that were the, um, infinite-minded, let's just say that, um, very supportive, very encouraging. And, um, and so 
I was, I, I was like, I want to be like, <laughs> I, you know, and maybe I already was cause I'm from the Midwest, but I really, I wanted to have a happy experience in those spaces. So I tried to keep a pleasant, but you have to really take on a lot of the other stuff that happens in that competitiveness. So then when you suddenly enter a job space where you get the job, you've got the job. So you're not in a finite mindset anymore, as Simon's referring to, you know, you've won it. And so you're there, you're, for lack of better terms, you're coasting, you've, you're, you know, you're on the boat, you're floating, right? Made it. You don't need to have that kind of mindset anymore. You don't need to win anything more. You don't need to be competitive with the people that you're on stage with. They're all there lifting up the same thing, which is the production of your show. So to walk in and be competitive with your colleagues is not fruitful for the production. It's not fruitful for the environment that you're in to have funky feelings being thrown all around, judgments being thrown about like, oh, this person didn't dance it as well as so-and-so, you know, and I have to encounter that as a swing because I'm jumping in everywhere, placing somebody. And sometimes you get the feelings of like, they're not happy to dance with me. I typically don't get that kind of vibe because I also don't give that vibe off, but you know, you're, you're very in tune with how people are responding to you and stuff like that. And I know that I've heard that being said about other people and, and it's hard. Sometimes it might be warranted. Maybe they are a little bit more difficult to partner. Maybe they're a little on the wrong spot all the time and they're not being aware, which brings in a whole nother topic of like, just people being aware of each other. I think we've lost a bit of sense of awareness for others. And, um, and in dance, it's really noticeable because you'll hit people. But I think in, in just in general, in society, we need to be more conscientious of this, of like, am I accidentally hitting people? And I'm not even realizing because I'm so unaware of them. That's the same though, that 10 block radius you, you speak about, like coming from New Zealand and then going into New York. Like it's when I go back to New Zealand, people are making eye contact on the street. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, we don't look at each other. Like, in because in New York, you find like, if you're walking down the street and someone looks at you for too long, you like grab your bag. You're like, are they about to try the product of the environment but in the same place when I walk into buildings like I've done stuff with the Barrow group which is an awesome um like acting school improv stuff and once you get inside it's to your point I really love that word of the infinite mindset of like people are so focused on their own success that someone else's is not a threat to theirs there's there's so much to be gained if we have that infinite mindset and actually partner up with those people otherwise bumping into absolutely because you just don't know where all of those things lead i mean i mean short term they lead to a happier life they lead to a happier existence because you're getting along with people and it doesn't need to be that hard it doesn't really need to be that that much of a struggle like gosh as artists we struggle so much anyway just to get the job like why we need to torture ourselves even more by not getting along with each other baffles me, you know, because it, we're there for the same purpose. We're there to be artists. We're there to be, you know, presenting this thing. And I just really think that it's such a, a disappointment when you see other people trying to knock each other down for size and stuff. And like you were saying about the, um, <laughs> 
the walking down the street and stuff a long time ago I think I don't know if I told you that before when we met there was this album that I listened to like decades ago and the album's title was smile it confuses people no. and I loved it because I was like it sure does doesn't it you know and so I just started to smile at people and it is fascinating the people that smile back and the people that are like whoa why is she smiling at me like that's weird and and I just go oh they're confused you know but then you might end up having some moment with somebody where they say hello hello you know and I'm from the midwest that's kind of what we do but I'm surprised it didn't get broken in me by being in this environment where people don't look at each other and instead you know I see the same people when I was living in like certain areas certain neighborhoods in New York City I'd see the same people every day why would I act like I don't know you that's weird that's weird (laughs) you are so correct whether it's the Midwest I think it's just who you are and it sounds like there's been a few really awesome key women who surrounded you and showed you that like actually you can just be extremely positive and you've taken that on board and continued with it so in the same way like glass half full or glass half empty you can subscribe to either energy in the room yeah but it just feels so good that makes me think of two two different things first of all that group of women that are actual performers that I'm thinking of um they were, they were part of my Zoom group of doing like Pilates and yoga in the morning every day without fail. And it was the, you know, the guy, it was the one, you know, kind of ringleader that pulled in people she loves and said, Hey, do you want to join it? And we became a group of excellent friends, you know, and, um, and in that group, they are immensely supportive of each other. And a lot of times I got to say, I don't even know what they're doing as artists, as creatives now in their, they're a little bit older than me. And so a lot of them are directing, choreographing, making other stuff. They're making things. They're like, and I never even ask them because I know what they're doing is actually like really top tier stuff, but we don't talk about the stuff necessarily unless it like really like, oh, I'm doing this thing. Oh my God. Oh, okay. Let's talk about it. You know, but we're being each other's friends first. Oh, we're friends God. first. And then we are colleagues, creatives second. And that was something that was really um, wild for me to um, be a participant in and be a friend of, and be in that group of, because I'm telling you, Grace, these, these ladies have been on awards shows. They have been, they've done stuff they are not small potatoes people and that's not to just oh god that sounds so rude no not to dismiss the, the other stuff I'm just saying that like they know their worth and by them also supporting each other through the years I think that that has only supported the things that they've grown into and and making them get to the spaces they have because they aren't um kicked down or whatever I don't know yeah they're not being chopped down and also if you have people in your corner who authentically back you then like you say they're achieving these crazy things because the people giving them advice they trust to have their best interests people aren't like you said going to throw the marbles the people in their corner and they're my mom calls it the board of directors um so your own (laughs) that's great I love that (laughs) right you're 
your own personal board of directors, you go to them and the same way you want a production to be successful, you want each other to be successful when you have that strong network. One other thing that I think is worth mentioning is when I was younger, I played soccer. And I think that that lent itself a lot to that mindset that I grew with because that is a team sport. There's no way you get where you go without. And had I not taken <laughs> taken that break from dancing, I literally quit dancing to go play soccer. And I met my lifelong friends that were like, you know, I had a very, very, very small wedding. And half of that wedding was these ladies that were from my soccer team. I think that that was my initial board of directors to your like point. They were my initial like, where am I at in this world kind of thing. They would always ground me. And I think it's that team playing mindset and, you know, the togetherness and stuff like that. And I really thought it was important to carry that through. And so when I found these other ladies that were performers that, you know, performers, directors, choreographers and stuff that became part of my, my next, you know, my other board of directors group, I think that like that helped, I, I recognized them. I recognized what they were doing was they were there supporting as a team, as opposed to individualizing themselves and just kind of hoping for the best on their own. I think there is something in humans that want to be connected. We want to be connected and we want to be together. So us kind of breaking at something that's so natural in us in order to just survive, I think says a lot about what the society we're building to. <laughs> like we shouldn't have to be that way. Something you did touch upon a little bit before we even started is you're yeah. doing so many things. And so <laughs> what drew you to be like, you know what? I'm not busy enough. <laughs> I, I want to do this. What tell me about that? Um, well, okay, gosh. I've always been a bit of an academic. Like I was told very long ago um, in high school or even younger, like whatever you do, just don't become a dancer. So <laughs> first rule of thumb, never tell your kids not to do it. They're going to do it. No, that's not necessarily true. But, um, you know, my dad, you know, my dad knew the life. His his uh, brother was a professional ballet dancer. So he he knew the life. He knew the hardship. So that's why he was just trying to protect me. Because of that, I was always very academically minded along. It paralleled my arts all the time always so then even when I got my first Broadway show you know I quickly started learning a foreign language just because you know and then I started learning another one and I just was always wanting to learn more and that kind of kept on carrying like long and short of it that carried for a very long time where I was you know seeking out other stuff and there was a certain point where I was like I'm leaving the business and I went to go get my master's first time around. And, and I could tell like right when I got in there, it wasn't the right fit. But it's funny that the theme of what I was trying to do back then is exactly the same thing I'm trying to do right now. And, and I find that fascinating. I, got, I was going for the wrong degree because I didn't know more. Um, but... Um, but I think I, I learned a lot from that and I was unafraid. I was unafraid to try and, and, you know, and go, oh, this actually didn't fit. This isn't the right fit for me. And I knew it quickly. So, so I kind of like recalibrated, but during that time was when I started to retouch because I was living in Europe. I lived in Switzerland and I lived in Germany and I was, you know, not watching a lot of TV and somebody gave me a, a disc of Photoshop 
And so I started tinkering with that. And that's, you know, by me licking my wounds of like dropping out of grad school, there I am like learning a new skill that I fell in love with, you know? So I've always been a learner and I've always wanted to do that kind of stuff. And then um, we, we were trying to get pregnant with my first daughter. Um, she, it wasn't working and I was very frustrated and we had to go through the whole IVF pro process. And I picked up a camera actually to once again, lick my wounds, you know, and feel better about something. I had to kind of um, channel my frustrations into something else. And, um, and so we made a documentary. And so that was my, you know, kind of foray into learning about editing, about, you know, doing shots, setting up composition. I learned so much. Once again, I was learning, I was learning, I was learning. And I think that that really kicked other stuff into high gear and um, cut long, long, long and short into it. Like I've just always really been into learning other stuff. And there, what got me into going for my communications degree this time was um, the Gina Davis Institute in Gender and Media. She has an incredible organization that's looking at the data and researching stuff that is giving us a, a larger lesson on like how we're casting shows, who's, who's in front of the camera, but also who's behind the camera and the opportunities that are existing or lack thereof. And um, the Annenberg Institute at USC does the same. And, um, and I think people are starting to pay more attention that these kinds of things matter. So when I kind of hit into the Gina Davis Institute, you know, I was like, wow, she's doing some amazing stuff there. And uh, I was looking up her employees and they all had communications degrees. So I was like, that, that must be it, you know, like that, that's gotta be it. I'm, so I'm doing that. And, but I'm discovering as, as I keep on going on through this uh, degree, it's opening up other channels of what is important to me. So it's not just um, one particular sector that might be, I think that I want to contribute to like a larger purpose, you know, for society and have more impact in, in whatever way that is. This is something that like, it all kind of puts all, because I get very confused, like, where am I going? You know, what, it, what does it all mean? You know, but as an artistic pers person, um, there is no finish line and there is no way to shut it off. I cannot stop this person inside of me from always creating something more. And so what I'm trying to do is piece my desire for impact with this artistic self. And I think that storytelling is an incredible vessel for telling stories about society, lessons we've learned, lessons we've that are still to be learned. You know, I think there is that cerebral part of us that like, you know, we want to think we're doing, you know, we're reading up and we're educated and all this kind of stuff. But I think some of those big lessons are also coming from media, television, film, music. We, we are touched because of all these other things. And I think that that goes back to, you know, that's been done for thousands of years, the way that we impart what, you know, what there is to learn in our world and stuff. And so I want to be a participant in that. And I'm trying to refine the, the, how. <laughs> the how, because my how keeps on changing and how I contribute to this world keeps on changing. And as I have younger, you know, young children now, it's obviously like for a future that I will not be here for, that I want to help. 
that is so well said and so beautiful and thank you and I really appreciate the honesty and like the how keeps changing and the why and the when yeah. and all of those elements but it's like when you have itchy feet you just keep moving and you're <laughs> afraid of it and one phrase you said that like struck with me is the whole like learning from lessons learning from other people's lessons and that's I think the huge part of dialogue and conversation learning from legends is what I'm trying to do with this podcast because there are going to be people especially a lot of uh my listeners from New Zealand who are like what how do you get on Broadway what's that like like where do you go and so just to hear all of that is such a cool story that yeah you could probably research if you did some googling and this and that but to hear the personal experience now whenever someone watches a show they'll be like oh they're looking in the ensemble for like a swing and this and that to know more and just to know more for the sake of knowing more we talked about curiosity I don't need or want to become a Broadway ensemble swing but I love knowing about it like that's so cool so, yeah, we were we were talking about that right before we started recording about our our like uh, our leaning in, our curiosities for other stuff. And I guess if you know, if I could, well, there's lots of things I would want to like give to other people. Like if you could give one gift to a person, you know, there's lots of gifts that are you know really valuable, like being kind to other people, of course. Um, but curiosity is something that I think is a really special and important thing for people to keep on, um, keep on working with and working towards and not losing. Don't lose your curiosity because, um, you know, there's this idea that we kind of, you know, we learn, we go, we grow and we retire and we drop off, you know, or something. (laughs) And, and I just think, no, no. (laughs) you know even my mom she she's like was an amazing homemaker mom you know she was a constant creative always creative she was the one that played the piano she had the music going in the house but she also was constantly doing stuff and tinkering stuff and I think there was a lot of you know artistry in her that just was like always going you know and my dad he was like this guy that just couldn't stop. He's the one with his feet going. Da, 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 da. He was a pilot, but the second he retired, he couldn't handle it. And so he learned how to fly a hot air balloon. I mean, like that is that guy, you know, he's that guy um, that just can't stop. And I recognize these, these pieces of my parents within me. And I don't have all the pieces of each one of them, but I have these little pieces that I go, oh, I see, you know, and if it's me, then I have to learn how to handle myself. <laughs> and what do I do with all of this? But, um, you know, trying to do it for, for good is something that is of value for me right now. I love that. And I laugh too, because I had one guest, I, his phrase, and I'm forgetting who it was, but it stuck with me was, you know, if he's bitten off more than he could chew, chew faster. And I just, <laughs> it's a piece of information you would like, just, just chew faster. <laughs> Sign off question. If you had to have just one meal for the rest of your life, breakfast, <laughs> lunch, and dinner, what is it going to be? This is like, for a dancer, I mean, like, <laughs> I actually tell my husband, like, if there was a pill that I could take to not be bothered to eat food, 
I would take it because I'm too busy doing my tinkering to like, I'm just not a foodie. <laughs> I will say if there is a food, I mean, pizza is always a go-to because like it fills you up and it's like really, you know, oh, actually I like salad too. Is there something that we didn't talk about? We didn't discuss that you feel like? I think that more than anything, I think for um, some people, there is no finish line, you know, there's no finish line for some of us and that I think can be a little maybe frustrating for some other people you know can't you just relax you know and I can't um because that's who I am like especially as an artistic person I think that there is a part of me that even when I finish one thing my brain is stimulated by something else and that leads me to some other space and some other thought. And that could be artistic, but also thoughtful. Like it could be academic. It could be just societal thoughts on things. I can't stop those wants to go the distance of my life and experience all the things that kind of erupt from me, you know? And, and I've tried, I've tried to be quote unquote normal, be, just calm down, do something that is just easy, you know? And um, that isn't fulfilling to me. And I think that having, uh, I can absolutely respect that for other people in that they find fulfillment in very simple and beautiful experiences. And I think that I find fulfillment in, in other spaces that are uh, people that are like me <laughs> um, can definitely recognize that there's that, um, yeah, oh, uh, Sarah Lewis wrote this book called The Rise. And it's about um, creativity and the gift of, of failure and the search for mastery. And she talks about this idea of mastery versus success. And I think that there's something that really radiates with me in that it's this like just wanting to hit all the corners of what is beautiful in this particular thing, you know, and spending time. I'm not a quick, I'm not a fast. It's like slow and methodical kinds of things and stuff. And so I, and I think because each time I do one of those things that erupts into a new idea and a new thought that it won't really stop. And so for me, life is this continuum of experiencing things and having it evolve and like figuring out the hows and the whys and stuff like that. And, um, and maybe that's not healthy, but I think for me, it's wonderful and it's unique and it's, um, well, it's not necessarily unique because I know a lot of other artists that are like that, but it is something that I've had to own and respect and say, this is who I am. I won't stop. Sorry. I'm going to be that probably like my dad just learning how to fly a hot air balloon <laughs> you're exactly what I call the tall poppy you're the one who's just growing and you keep going and other people look and they're like that's so cool how do I do that and to your point mastery I think that's a really eloquent delicate word which I quite admire as well is people don't need to do it in the same way you're going to do it and that's not what anyone's asking for it's just yeah. to appreciate and learn and celebrate yeah that in each other yeah and not to yeah because I'm not I'm not going for bravado I'm not going to be like recognized it would be nice sometimes to be recognized for like how wow you really go into the weeds about this stuff don't you you know like <laughs> you really kind of keep on 
tinker it till you become the retoucher, you know? Um, but I think that there's beauty in the details. And, um, and so, so it's, it's nice to, and thankfully I'm around enough people that say, you don't have to cut yourself. You don't have to cut yourself down in order to, to be amongst the rest of us in the poppy field. You know, I think that wildflowers are beautiful for a reason. They all grow at, you know, different lengths, different heights. Some blossom more than others. Some don't even have flowers really, but it's all natural. It's not curated. I love that. And we're going to finish on that poetry. Jen, thank you. I know this is the first of many, many conversations on and off the microphone. Oh my God. You and I, we're going, we're going places. We're like, yeah, there's coffee shops. We're going walks. We're going to just yuck, yuck, yuck. (laughs) Absolutely. So I'm so stoked that this conversation is one that's on the books. It's a it's the same way you have your artistry. I have mine and telling these stories and I'm excited for we'll come off these conversations. So until next time and just thank you so, so much. Oh, well, I'm really so excited for the work that you're doing. And I, I really love, you know, listening to your podcast as well. And I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much for listening to Tall Poppy Talk. We'll see you next time. Feel free to check us out on socials, YouTube and the website. Thanks for today's